I want to draw your attention just to this passage from Revelation chapter uh, 14. We read, And the worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name, have no rest day or night. I'm not going to describe now who the worshipers of the beast are and the image, only that these are individuals who are opposed to Christ outside of Jesus Christ. But then, later on in the passage, read about this, who belonged to Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. So you see a very fundamental distinction between those who are outside of Christ and restless, and those who are inside of Christ and experience rest. Now, I want to draw your attention to Matthew chapter 11. I want to read just verses 28 through 30, where Jesus says, and this is one of the most beautiful invitations in all the New Testament, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy." And my burden is light. And that's going to be the text I'm going to preach on and explain uh, in part uh, this afternoon. Now, I want to draw your attention to the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. Do we have that up there? There we go. So I'm going to read the question and then let's confess the answer together. Here's the question. What is your only comfort in life and death? So let's say together that I am not my own but belong with body and soul both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's quite a mouthful, but some beautiful truths and gets at the heart of the gospel of comfort and rest and confidence in Christ. You know, um, I had written a number of things for an introduction, but for the sake of time, um, I want to recall something that I explained to our congregation in Phoenix a number of years ago. There are two authors of this document called the Heidelberg Catechism. One is a man named Zachary Ursinus. He's the main brainchild of this catechism. And also the man that I mentioned just a moment ago, his name is Casper Olivianus. And Casper Olivianus was a preacher, as I said, at the Church of the Holy Ghost. And Ursinus was one of the professors at the University of Heidelberg. Uh, there was a, a time when Casper uh, Livianus was persecuted for his faith. He served in a place called Traves, France for a number of years, but then he was booted out for promoting the gospel there. And we have to remember that the, the writers of these catechisms and confessions during the time of the 16th century Reformation really took it on the chin, and some of them paid for their lives uh, with their lives for, for the very beautiful truths that they held dear and that we hold dear as well. Well, Caspar Livianus was not martyred for the faith. He lived to be a bit of an older man. And on his deathbed, um, an individual came up to him and said, are you assured of your place in eternity, uh, O, o Livianus? 
And, and he uttered a Latin term, which was certissimus. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Certissimus, which means most certainly. Not just certainly, but most certainly. And what that tells you is that Levianus, who many believe actually was the primary author of this first question and answer, not Ursinus, but Livianus, he actually took to heart the very things that he wrote and which we confess now that the assurance and the confidence of his faith rested not in himself, but in Jesus, and that his salvation and his place with Christ and his belonging with Christ was absolutely certain. Christ did belong to him both in body and in soul. Indeed, it was Olivianus who knew something of, what, of, of the invitation of Jesus when Jesus said, Come unto me, listen to these words carefully, come unto me, all you who are weary and burnt out and heavy laden, heavy of heart. And Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest, just, just glorious rest. When a person is outside of Jesus, when a person doesn't know Jesus, believe me when I tell you, and maybe you have witnessed this yourself, but in working with a number of people who do not know Jesus, oftentimes there is, once you really begin to dig into their lives, there's a certain form of, of restlessness. There, there's a certain amount of, of agitation in their life. You find this even as Christians, and maybe you are here also this afternoon, where there's maybe a sense of restlessness or weariness simply as a result of maybe living in this fallen world. And I don't know what your week was like, but then maybe you read about the comfort of belonging to Christ, and sometimes that is um, maybe called into question, or maybe you don't experience it like you would like to. Jesus talks about heaviness and, and weariness. And, and what's interesting, and again, I'll give you a little bit of a pastor's perspective on this, what you oftentimes find as you, as you work with individuals is that sometimes they experience rest and weariness, or a restlessness and weariness and, and, and heaviness of heart for one of two reasons. One, either because of things that have been brought into their lives which they have no control over or things that they have brought upon themselves. For instance, sometimes people experience um, heaviness and difficulty in their lives because of things that have come from the outside in. For instance, give you a few examples. Sometimes they have to do with issues relating to health. They, they, they get a diagnosis of cancer. They didn't ask for it. Or maybe it's a sudden death in the family. They didn't ask for it. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Somebody cut off a relationship with them. They didn't ask for it. Sometimes it's a form of abuse that they experienced when they were younger, when they were a little boy or a little girl. They didn't ask for that, but they experienced the heaviness and the difficulties of that. But there are other times when we experience heaviness or difficulty in our lives, not as a result of things that we have no control over, but things that we have quite honestly brought upon ourselves. Maybe we have entertained certain sins in our past, or maybe we are entertaining certain sins now. 
things that we know that we shouldn't be uh, doing or dealing with in our lives, but we entertain them, we fall prey to them, and then we experience some of this, this heaviness which Jesus is talking about, things that we have brought upon ourselves. The reason why I bring that out is because I think that's primarily what Jesus is getting at, at in this text. Because when Jesus uses the words heavy and, and, and when he speaks about weariness in our lives, those things, to get a little bit technical here, in the, in the original language come in the middle voice. And when you, when you face something in the original language, it comes in the middle voice, it points to something that people have done to themselves. Something that people have performed upon themselves that, that wreaks havoc in their life and brings them to a point of agitation and restlessness. Let me give you an example of that, okay, in the life of King David. If you grew up with the Bible and Christian teaching, you know about King David. He was a king. He was a poet. poet. He was a military um, uh, strategist. He was a soldier. And when, when people talk about the big sin of David, what do we think about, right? We think about the sin of David's adultery with a, a woman named Bathsheba. And you know, David, we read in the Bible, owned up to that, what he did, the sin of adultery, and he brought it before the Lord, and the Lord forgave him. But that doesn't mean that David didn't deal with the consequences of what he did, right? And, and one of the consequences, there are a number of them, but one of the consequences was this. David had six sons. Three of those sons actually lived out the very sexual sin of their father. It kind of carried into their lives. So, for instance... There was one of the sons named Absalom, and we read about Absalom, how he went into his father, that, that is, he had sex with his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel. You talk about a blatant act. Or the son Amnon. Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar. Or you think of um, um, Absalom and Amnon, and what was the other one? Oh, Solomon, of course. And Solomon, in his older years, had 700 concubines. 700. Not a few. 700. We call that a very busy man. Okay? So here we have these sons who are struggling with the same sexual sins of the father. As David looks back on his life, he realizes that some of his example, some of his examples of who he was when he was younger carried on into his sons' lives. How many of us here this afternoon are dealing with heaviness or weariness either because of things that have been brought into our lives or things that we have dabbled in that we shouldn't and now we are paying some of those consequences. How many of us here this afternoon are dealing with things where we think to ourselves, maybe I have done things in my life that has pushed me over the edge and there's really a point of no return? You ever feel that way? Jesus says, listen to me. When you find yourself in these situations, come, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will bring you rest. I will bring you confidence. I will give you hope and comfort. Jesus promises us rest in this text, but for the sake of time, when we go on, Jesus goes on to say, not only will I give you rest, but part of that rest is also found in this. Jesus says, listen to these words. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You're probably wondering, what, 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 does, he, what does he mean by that? Well, 
it's, 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 it's kind of funny because, because Jesus talks about, he talks about giving us rest and then he goes on to talk about an instrument of work that we are to take upon ourselves, right? When we think of a yoke, we think of an instrument that is to help us to bear weight, right? So sometimes um, there, there are two oxen and a yoke goes over the oxen and that's to help them bear the weight of the, uh, the wagon behind them that they're pulling. Or sometimes you find a, a woman from Africa, we've maybe seen these pictures, where she has this yoke around her neck and her shoulders and she has two pails of maybe water or milk. So you can imagine how difficult it is to carry a pail in each hand. You can't go far when those pails are full. But when you have something that bears the weight, namely a yoke, you can carry that weight much farther. Well, Jesus here in this passage is simply saying, listen, I want you, compared to the yoke that you may be bearing, the weight of sin in your lives perhaps, Jesus says, I want you to take my yoke, my way upon you, and you actually see that the yoke that you're bearing is rather heavy compared to my yoke, my teaching, and my way that I'm calling you to live. Actually, when you consider the matter of a yoke, here's something for you to, to consider. Every one of us here this afternoon is wearing a yoke of some kind. Every one of us. It's either a self-imposed yoke, a yoke that we have put on ourselves, or it's the yoke of Christ, but it's one or the other. What I have found in the ministry is that when we talk about self-imposed yokes, there's two primary kinds of self-imposed yokes that we can bear in our lives that cause us to be weary and heavy laden, as Jesus talks about. First of all is, and I call them the two L's, the yoke, and I'll explain them, the yoke of legalism and the yoke of libertinism. And you say, well, what, what are those referring to? A legalist is one who... Tries to, wake his, tries to work his way to God. A legalist is a performer. A legalist says to himself or herself, if, if I only perform in such a way, if I only do this or that, God will love me. I've talked to many Christians who I say, do you believe in the grace of God? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus fully satisfies for your sin? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Yes. And yet in the quieter moments as they live out their lives, and maybe, this is natural. I think there's a little legalist in every one of us that as we go through our lives, on one hand we say, yes, God loves me. On the other hand, when we get ourselves into a bind or we fall into certain sins, especially habitual sins that just keep <laughs> cycling through our lives, don't you ever get this where you go, If I just say I'm sorry more, if I just pray more, if I just go to church more, then God will love me. Then God will love me. That's a legalist. I think we all struggle with that to a certain degree. But then there's the libertine. If the legalist tries to work his way into God's good graces, a libertine couldn't care less. A libertine lives for himself or herself. They do what they want to do. They don't care. 
I think of, um, I'll give you one example from the Bible in this. Think of that familiar story of the prodigal son. Prodigal son, he was living in his father's house, but he wanted an early disbursement of his inheritance from his dad. By the way, there's a little bit of a slap in the face of his father. But the father eventually agreed, and he gave the son his share of the inheritance. And the prodigal son went away from his father's house, the Bible says, as far as he could get. He went into a far country. And there he squandered his inheritance. As we would say today, he partied away his money. And he had a lot. And when he had the money, he had all the friends. And he parted the money with the friends. And when the money ran out, right, what happened? He figured he needed a job. And he went to work among pigs, which for a young Jew was about the worst job that you could ever get. He thought he had all the freedom in the world. He thought, you know what? I am free from having to live under the strictures of my father's house. Get me out of here. How many of us who are older, when we, when we were 17, 18, 19, couldn't wait to get out of the house, man. want to live my life. And that's what he did. And he went off to a far country, and he lived his life of freedom, that libertine life. Where did it end up? Where did he end up? He ended up in the pigsty. Eating with and smelling like the pigs. Here's the point. You want to go the legalist route? You want to try to work your way to God? You want to go the libertine route and live outside the strictures or the laws of God? Go ahead and try that. It will leave you in the same place every time. It is a place of enslavement. It is a place of bondage. Jesus says, no, no. True freedom and true rest is only found in me. Find your rest in me. Come to me, take my yoke, my way, my teaching upon you, and you will truly be free indeed. For my way is easy, he says, and my yoke is light. Here's the irony of the Christian faith. It's only when we adopt the way of Jesus that our bondage is lifted. It's only when we adopt the way of Jesus that our burdens become light. And it's only when we adopt the way of Jesus that we receive a joy and a comfort and a rest, a certainty, a confidence that in some cases we never knew was possible. All of that is contained in this beautiful invitation of Jesus Come unto me, and you will find rest. There's perhaps no better catechetical statement that captures the beauty of this than the first question and the answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. Again, it asks this question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And here's the answer. Listen carefully. My only comfort in life and death is that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He's fully satisfied for all my sins. He set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair shall fall from my head without the will of my Heavenly Father. Indeed, all things must work together for me and my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ by His Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life assures me of it and makes me wholeheartedly willing and able from now on to live for him.
This is what it means to find rest. This is what it means to find comfort. So, if you put it up there on the screen, uh, brothers, I don't want to end with this. Rest in Jesus, comfort in Jesus, is found, first of all, in belonging to him. And I want to draw this brief message this afternoon so we have a bit of a time discussion. I want to leave you with these things. Rest, confidence in Jesus is found in believing that we belong to him. We are set free from the restlessness of isolation, rejection, and the tension of not being reconciled to God. The most important thing that you and I can pursue is reconciliation, harmony with God. Sin, the Bible teaches us, unrepentant sin separates us from God. But when we deal with our sins and we repent and we come to Jesus, there's where we sense our belonging because we've been reconciled to God. Rest in Jesus is found in believing that he is fully satisfied for all my sins. Listen, we are set free from various forms of restlessness due to legalism and also due to libertinism. All of these give us bondage. All of these result in enslavement. But when we find rest in Jesus, knowing that he is satisfied for all our sins, we are set free from these things. Rest in Jesus is found in believing that he has set us free from the bondage of the devil. There are times in working with people. You know, if you grow up with the Christian faith, maybe you don't have a problem with this, but when you deal with people outside the faith, you have to convince them that the devil is real. He's not just like, you know, this thing thing that, uh, you know, people imagine and dress up in Halloween costumes, you're right, and you wear these red outfits with these horns, right, and the pitchfork and all that, and they all laugh about that. So you can't laugh about it. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says he has come to kill and steal and destroy. And when you deal with people's lives that are a wreck and they're restless, you know that they are in the bondage of the prince of darkness himself. Jesus has released us from the tyranny of the devil. Rest in Jesus is found in believing that he watches over us in such a way that not a hair shall fall from our heads without the will of our Heavenly Father. In that, we are set free from restlessness to fear, the fear of being outside of God's care and protection. Does he really love me? Will he care for me? Will he protect me? Yes, yes he will. Rest in Jesus is found in believing that all things must work together for us and our salvation. How many people experience anxiety? Do you know how many people are going to therapists today for anxiety in their lives? When the catechism teaches us that, indeed, when you belong to Christ, all things will work together. In fact, that's what the Bible says. When the Bible says all things will work together for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Rest in Jesus is found in believing that he assures us of eternal life. We're set free from the restlessness of an unknown future. How many people wonder what's going to happen after they die? Some of them think, you know, after I die, well, I just go into the ground and worms eat me up. But some of them deep down, because the Bible says that God has sown eternity in our hearts, wonder, is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Because I know I want to be in one place and not the other. Will I be in heaven? Will God love me in the end? Will I live with him for eternity? The catechism on the basis of the Bible says absolutely. He assures us by his spirit that we will be with him in eternity. And finally this, rest in Jesus is found in believing that he is able and willing to make us live for him.
In a sense, we're set free again from self-absorption, from self-centeredness. We now have a greater purpose for something, someone that is greater than ourselves. You know what that's all called? It's called the gospel. It's called the good news of Jesus Christ. And Christ invites every one of us here, either for the hundredth time in our life or for the first time in our life, to draw near to him in order that we might find as Jesus' invitation illustrates, and as the first question answer of our catechism illustrates, he invites us to come to him and find the rest and the comfort and the certainty that we certainly do not find in our world. Let us draw near to him. Let's pray to him now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, O God, for the comfort that you give us in Christ. Lord Jesus, we, we, we think of the words of the great Augustine many years ago who said, Lord, you have made us for yourself and we are restless until we find rest in thee. Oh Lord Jesus, we pray, bring rest to our lives and help us to know in the very depth of our hearts the blessings of finding our comfort, and our rest in you and the beauty of ultimately belonging to you in body and soul and in life and in death, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.